Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, December 16th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, Marionette Miller-Meeks has an interesting new address and potentially a primary opponent. Joni Ernst is censured, and Scott Brennan provides his caucus post-mortem. Hello, I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me for the podcast this week is the full lineup. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon. Lee Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Good afternoon, Caleb. Good afternoon, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. I would really, I'm really interested to know if you're starting to write your podcast scripts with the chat AI now. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't tried that yet. But now that you've mentioned it, I am totally going to do that. Let's see how that works out. Oh my gosh. Uh, Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Hello, Jared. Aaron, the uh, the only Jets I monitor are the New York Jets. <laughs> and how's that going? It's not not going well. <laughs> you know, you know what Jet stands for, right? Just end the season. Oh, oh. oh. ching. <laughs> that you shouldn't have said that until after our interview with Senator Whitford, Tom, because Caleb Hunter is a Jet uh, Jets fan. <laughs> Senator Whitford's comms person may just crossed us off the pre-session interview list. Now you'll be moved even further up in the gallery. <laughs> <laughs> and that voice you heard is a gazette columnist, Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Hello. All right. First up this week, and please forgive us and don't touch that doll, but we're going to talk one more time about the Iowa Democratic caucuses. Uh, and just because our Tom Barton interviewed Scott Brennan, the Iowa Democrat who serves on the Democratic National Committee's Rules and Bylaws Committee, that group, uh, of course, will hereafter live in infamy in Iowa. Uh, Tom's story ran this past weekend, so if you missed it, definitely check it out. But uh, Tom, tell us, uh, how was Scott when you talked to him? He's had uh, quite a time these past few weeks and months. Uh, what were some of your main takeaways from your chat with him about how the whole caucus thing went down? Yeah, uh, so um, I guess the, the biggest thing that um, that stood out to me from my conversation with um, Scott Brennan um, was um, talking about, or, or he talked about, um, just how how lonely of a, a process uh, it was. Um, so he talked about, excuse me, um, that you know, being the only Iowan on the DNC Rules Committee and being only one of two members to, to vote against the proposal, the other being um, Joanne uh, Doddle in New Hampshire, um, you know, talking about how, you know, aside from him and, uh, and, and the representative from New Hampshire, um, you know, there, there really wasn't anybody else um, that, uh, you know, was in favor of, you uh, keeping the Iowa caucuses, um, first in the nation. Um, and, you know, he talked about how, you know, he's been advocating to keep Iowa caucuses first in the nation for, for a decade and how those efforts came, even though, um, as he put it, uh, former democratic national committee chair, uh, Tom Perez, uh, quote, hatred for caucuses was without bounds, uh, end quote. <laughs> um, but, but that after the 2020 Iowa Democratic caucuses in which administrative issues and a malfunctioning app led to a, a long design, delay in results, 
Um, Brennan said that he knew that Iowa likely would lose its uh, enviable position atop the nation's presidential nominee and calendar, but had reasonable hopes Iowa would still remain among the small grouping of early Democratic states. Uh, that was, however, until he saw President Joe Biden's letter to the DNC Rules Committee members stating that the party should scrap uh, what, what the president termed to be restrictive caucuses um, as opposed to primaries uh, because the rules on in-person participation um, makes it um, difficult for um, working class and other voters to, to participate. Uh, Biden also wrote that the party must ensure that voters of color have a voice in choosing um, our nominee much earlier in the process and, and throughout the entire early window. Um, and so, you know, that kind of came as a, a gut punch uh, for for Brennan um, at uh, at a at a uh, party dinner um, the night before. Uh, the the planned vote by the DNC Rules Committee to reorder the party's um, presidential selection process, which uh, calls for making South Carolina the first state in, in 2024, um, and then uh, followed by um, Nevada, New Hampshire, Georgia, and, and Michigan. Um, and and uh, yeah, he was pretty he was pretty candid. He said that um, that the the DNC Rules Committee vote was uh, was was brutal, as as he put it. What happens going forward? Um, you know, there are big unanswered questions, as, as we talked about, I think, in our last podcast as to, um, you know, what Iowa Democrats decide to do um, and, um, you know, how how they'll conduct the caucuses um, going forward. You know, will they will they follow New Hampshire um, and, you know, go rogue um, regardless of what um the consequences might be or the sanctions might be that get handed down from the DNC. Um, you know, one, um, one interesting thing that, uh, that uh, Brennan talked about is that the, the result of all this could be a year of extended uncertainty as states navigate conflicting laws and jockey for um, a better spot. Now, so long as, 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 um, President Biden runs for for re-election and and is effectively unopposed. You know it, it's a little easier to do, but should should Biden not run again, you know it's likely to draw a crowded field of candidates, um, all of whom are going to say, you know, what's the process? What's the calendar? Um, and, and according to to Brennan, nobody will be able to to tell them um, because um, states. Um, you know, they wouldn't have to submit their delegation selection plans to the DNC for approval until, um, I think, May 3rd of next year. Um, so anyway. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be interesting because um, to your point, um, we're already seeing some of that chaos uh, with basically New Hampshire uh, saying they're not going along with this plan. They're going to go first. Georgia has a Republican um state uh secretary of state and they've essentially said that they're not changing the way they do things um uh so you've already had some cases of these states uh that were in the proposed new early window um you know um saying (laughs) thanks but no thanks uh to put it politely so it's gonna be interesting to see how that 
uh, plays out moving forward. So um, unfortunately, podcast listeners will probably be talking about this again uh, on future episodes. Uh, we'll, we'll try to space it out for you. We'll do the best you can. Believe me, uh, we're getting sick of it too. Um, so let's move on this week. Uh, an interesting story over in eastern Iowa. Our Sarah Watson reported on the recent housing habits of Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks. Uh, to recap as succinctly as possible, and then Sarah can fill in the blanks and expand here. Um, but Iowa's decennial redistricting in 2021 drew incumbent Republican Congresswoman women, uh, Marionette Miller-Meeks and Ashley Hinson, into the same district. So uh, no, uh, Cindy Axney. Oh, I'm sorry, Cindy Axney. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and so shortly after, uh, Miller-Meeks announced her intention to run in and even though she didn't have to, at least by state law, move into another district, the new first district, which is uh, basically uh, southeast Iowa. Um, and it made sense. Much of the new first district overlapped with the old second that Miller Meeks had been representing. So Miller Meeks ran, uh, defeated Democrat Christina Bohannon, um, and here she is, and, and claimed at the time that she had set up a new residence in LeClaire. Is that right? Sarah? Yes. Uh, so yep. I'll let you take it from here. Now, Sarah, you, you learned uh, and reported something interesting about that LeClaire address that Miller Meeks claimed in the new first district that she now represents. Tell us about that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So like you said, yeah, the um, Southeast Iowa new congressional district is like 16 of 20 previous of 16 of the 20 counties are uh, were shared between her the two districts that she represents um, and or represented and represents now um, <clears throat> will represent starting January 1st Jan in January. But um, so we knew that she early on that she was planning to keep her acreage in Atumwa, which is in Wapolo County, which is owned by her and her husband. And in press interviews in the campaign, she said she'd gotten, she had a place in, in LeClaire, which is uh, in Scott County and in the district. And so um, uh, records show that that uh, residence is the same residence that um, uh State Senator Chris Cornoyer, who's a Republican in, in the state Senate, uh, that's the same they both had the same address, uh, according to voter, voting records. And um, Marinette Miller-Meeks requested her voter change um, on October 24th, which was the last day that you could pre-register to vote, which doesn't require people to show a proof of residency. So if you register on the same day, you need to show like a utility bill or something in your name that proves that you live there. Um, but on the uh, on the pre-registration form, you have to sign an affidavit that says, uh, that essentially says, yes, I live at the address listed above and I attest under penalty of perjury. So, um, so it's unclear whether she's going to face legal scrutiny for um, her reg voter registration in uh, LeClaire, because this is a, a um, single family home that uh, Chris Cronoyer is also registered to vote at. So, um, and she still has her place in Ottumwa. Um, and when, when asked uh, the Miller Meeks campaign and uh, office declined to comment on, you know, any proof of um, proof of residency there. So, so, yeah, so like I said, it's unclear what kind of uh, legal scrutiny could be applied to this. Um, she, because 
the you, the U.S. Constitution like doesn't actually require a a sitting Congress person to live in the district. They just have to live in the state that they are seeking to represent. So you know, from a legality of like, oh, is she you know able to actually hold office if she still lives in Ottumwa? Yes, she would be. But you know, she did. It appears she did vote um, just from a video that she tweeted before the election in Scott County. So um, so it's possible. Democrats may try to challenge her voter registration and and create draw drum up some some press about that. But so so it's really unclear what um, what's going to happen. It, it's interesting because it kind of you compare it to the case with State Senator Jack Whitfer, who um, residents challenged his uh, his residency, but he owned a condo. He had water. He used water and had um, owned the property. So, you know, this is a different situation where um, where Miller Meeks is, is saying I she lives there and uh, and doesn't, you know, own property um, like Senator Whitford does. So so it'll be interesting. I'm not sure exactly what kind of legal um, scrutiny will be applied to this or, or any challenge that may come. There hasn't been any challenges that I know of yet. So so that's that's in a nutshell the the case. Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, it, it's been an interesting uh, month or so here lately for uh, elected Iowa Republicans um, and their listed addresses. Um, as you know, Senator Jack Whitfer, who um, in his case is different, as you said, he moved. Um, uh, well, he listed a new address. Um, he had been living in Ankeny and listed a new address in Grimes. Uh, after he had said he planned to run in in that uh, other um, state senate district here in the Des Moines metro, um, and then KCRG TV reported that there, um, as Sarah noted, has been some water usage, but it's been very sparse. I think is to say the least, and and so it kind of gives off the indication that essentially uh, Jack Whitford is still living in Ankeny while renting or owning a place. Um, in Grimes uh, in order to, to represent that district. Uh, Todd, are, are these kinds of home shuffling habits? Well, first of all, is this normal? Is it, I mean, I, I don't remember uh, a lot of this kind of stuff in, in recent years. I mean, lawmakers moving to run in other districts is not terribly uncommon, but these kinds of cases of claiming they're moving and then apparently not really doing it seems to be a little more rare, but I, I mean, you have a little um, more historical perspective than I, so has this happened before? And and I'm curious to get your thoughts on whether this is something that Iowa voters, Iowa voters, uh, Iowa residents, constituents. Why don't you just say I'm old, about. Aaron? I'm just, I'm, I'm old, you know? I, was, I old. The whole time I was saying that, I was I've, thinking to myself, I'm I've basically calling I've seen a few things in my day. Uh, well, you know, once I was stopped by the LeClaire police on I-80 for not signaling a pass. So I think they're kind of sticklers. I'm kind of wondering how it's, what's going to happen with that. They are, they want the laws to be respected. Uh, yeah, you know, this thing pops up every once in a while. The, the, you know, the problem is the, the law and the rules are fairly loosey-goosey. I mean, there's just not much you can do about it. Uh, I think most voters would say, I mean, if you asked them, do you care whether you're 
representative lives in your district? And they would say yes. But then when it comes to actually going to the polls and they're going to be like, oh, well, I like that Jack Whitford. And, you know, I, I maybe he just doesn't use a lot of water. And so I will, I'll vote for him anyway. Uh, the Probably the, the best case I know of wasn't too long ago, but in Marion, here where I live, there was a, a mayor named Snooks Buska. And Snooks Buska had a house in Marion, and he also had a house in, I believe it was in Cedar Rapids. And there was a group of citizens who complained that he didn't actually live in the house in Marion. So they had like a, a the city council formed like a board of inquiry to take testimony from both sides and the and the people who were saying he didn't live in marion actually hired a private investigator to follow him around and to issue reports like 6 p.m shoveled his driveway in marion 7 30 p.m shoveled his driveway in, in cedar rapids 8 p.m came back and shoveled his driveway in marion again 9 p.m went to a bar uh <laughs> It was it was pretty ridiculous, and of course, because of the laws that aren't real clear, they basically said, "Well, if he's got an address here and is registered to vote here, it doesn't really matter where he sleeps at night; it matters where he votes." So, uh, yeah, I, I think on like I say on the surface, I think people are like, "Well, yeah, I want someone to represent me who you know lives in my community and." and understands what's going on here. But, you know, then there are the 43 things that are more important to them than that when they cast a ballot. So I don't know if anyone's thinking about hiring a private investigator to follow Marionette Miller Meeks around, but I can tell you that it's, it's, it's probably not worth it. (laughs) Yeah. And she does spend a lot of time in Washington, DC anyway. So all, all of these incidents uh, have the makings of a really wacky uh, buddy comedy, you know, like two two legislators having to live under the same roof because of, yeah. you know, redistricting yeah. or something Kind like of an that. Odd, odd couple uh, political, political version. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe they're from different par- parties even, you know, if you want to really play up the odd couple thing. Oh. Well, and it's like a riverfront property, wow. so it's like a nice view. There you go. Yeah, and I can see the poster with them, you know, standing back to back and pointing over their you shoulder, did. like, "Oh yeah, you did guy. not know this was an amendment." Yeah. I can't believe oh, you yeah. did not know this was an amendment. Kind of like the whole ladle thing, and uh, <laughs> I'm going a little too deep into in, in, that, that into field of dreams, odd theory. couple, huh? So <laughs> a couple lore. <laughs> That Field of Dream series is toast. Maybe we can get this one booked and said. Somebody get Michael Schur on the line. <laughs> the poor Field of Dream show. Oh yeah. Never got to see it. <laughs> which, which, by the way, sidebar, it's, it's fascinating. It's always fascinating me when this kind of stuff happens. Um, when I've reported on that whole thing, the show itself, and then the state incentives, that's like one of the most read stories I've had of this year. There's a ton of interest in that kind of, you know, little mini saga that we had there with that show, which, again, fascinates me. I, I, I just... I, I don't have any. Well, they weren't even going to film it at the, the Field of Dreams, which didn't make any sense to me. But right. you know, right. or, or in Dyersville at all, it was all going to be in in Central Iowa. Yeah, I was uh, going to say Michael Schur might be a good fix. Oh though. yeah, sounds like a yeah. recreation plot. Yeah, in fact, I think that <laughs> <laughs> you know, people's there, there's some episode about someone was born in Eagleton versus Pawnee. Yep. 
<laughs> Here we go. I love it. Somebody get Heck us with that. We'll produce it ourselves. Online stat. We'll do it. We're all smart enough. <laughs> An Iowa politics <laughs> podcast <laughs> production. Tens of viewers were thrilled by. <laughs> There's got to be a streaming. We could probably get on free speech TV. Isn't that the the Pillow Guys channel? Or there you go, Frank speech. Oh yeah, right. Sorry, how dare you? It's not free. You got to pay. You got to. You got (laughs) to. Yeah, it's not real talk. That would have been like really good if it was called that. But (laughs) yep. Oh, it's the end of the year, isn't it, folks? The end of a long year. We're after an election. You can tell this this is the way we were before Iowa Press this morning, too, if, if the cameras had been rolling for that. Uh, we're, we're in the punchy phase. We all need to get to the holidays. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, as we move on, a voting address wasn't the only issue uh, cropping up for Marionette Miller-Meeks this week. She and U.S. Senator Joni Ernst drew some criticism from multiple county parties, uh, multiple Republican county party organizations, I should note, over their vote for federal legislation that codified the recognition of same-sex and interracial marriages. Ernst uh, was censured uh, by a number of county party organizations uh, over the vote. Jared, um, some of those counties were up your way in in northwest Iowa. Obviously, as we've talked about any number of times, more conservative area of the state there. Um, What what did those, for the the folks that you – Heard from what? What did they have to say about uh, Joni Ernst's vote and and their decision uh, to censure her? So yeah, uh, two of the counties in our neck of the woods, um, Ida County and Pocahontas County, uh, decided to censure uh, Ernst. The Ida County GOP chair Teresa Paulsrud uh, said over an email that uh, the resolution our central committee passed specifically referenced the fact that the vote was in conflict with the Republican Party of Iowa platform, which states, we believe that traditional two-parent, one male XY and one female XX marriage-based families are the foundation of a stable, enduring, and healthy civilization. Uh, We encourage the repeal of any laws allowing any marriage that is not between one natural man and one natural woman. That was from uh, the Ida County uh, GOP, and then from the Pocahontas County GOP, there's even more of a uh, religious tone in the statement saying, um, Senator Ernst directly opposes the expressed will of God and of her constituents and is hereby formally censured for her vote by the Pocahontas County uh, Central Committee. And she said that to the Iowa Standard. Um, With Ida County, I was able to ask if... um, if Ernst would still be getting invites to county events. Um, and they said, uh, our Republican U.S. senators are always welcome at Ida County Republican events, and that includes Senator Ernst. So they were mad enough to censure her, but they'd still be happy to have her around if possible. Towing that line. Well done. Walking that fine line. By the way, I, I hadn't read that full statement for a night. that <laughs> I, I couldn't help but notice the uh, phrasing of male XX and female X, Y, they're not going to get caught in that trap over transgender uh, discussions and terms. So Yeah, no, that was, that was, throw the that was in the email. In yeah, we're going to throw the chromosomes in there to make sure that they know what we're talking about. <laughs> yep. um, Caleb, uh, one of the counties involved here 
um, is over in southeast Iowa, and uh, or southeast Iowa, I should say, as we, we're moving across the map here. Um, and they said they are planning to actively recruit, recruit a Republican to run against Marionette Miller Meeks in the 2024 primary. Is that right? Was it Des Moines County? Did I see that? Yeah, that's right. That was Des Moines County. Yeah. Um, so they they did say that they would uh, recruit a primary challenger to Miller Meeks, um, a challenger who would agree with the principles um, of their resolution. Those principles were um, pretty much identical to the things that Jared had mentioned. Um, they, you know, purported a, uh, a evangelical conservative idea of marriage that it should be between a man and a woman, and uh, they make a appeal to quote the laws of nature and nature's God. Um, so I, I find that interesting. The kind of taking that extra step to say, yeah, we're going to recruit a challenger, um, but I'm not sure. I guess how much teeth that has, and you know how how uh, competitive that's going to be because she actually did have a declared primary challenger in 2020, uh, Kyle Cool. I don't know if I'm saying that last name right, but um, he was, you know, kind of running to her right as well. Uh, and he ultimately didn't get enough valid signatures to get on the ballot, so he dropped out. But um, even before that, it didn't really seem like it was a very serious challenge. Um, and so, you know, that being a somewhat competitive district and, you know, a lot of Miller Meeks' campaign this past year was to convince people that she was bipartisan. I don't know how... Um, effective would be for the Republicans cause to recruit kind of a further right candidate that, that disagrees with um, most Iowans on this, on this issue. Um, so, and then I also wanted to note um, uh, with all of these censures, including Ernst and Miller Meeks, um, part of the conversation is that uh, this past summer um, when another County party had censured Miller Meeks for the same vote, um, the, uh, the, count, the, the GOP state GOP leader, Jeff Kaufman said that that's not, there's nothing in their bylaws that allows county parties to censure people. So it's not like any sort of official party thing. It's just, you know, they're, they're making a public statement, but it's, it's right. That, that, that's a good point to raise. Thank you. Yeah. Caleb, I, I am kind of wondering like how much of an issue this is even going to be able to be used as even in a primary, because if I remember right, even like a year ago when there was polling done about this, a majority of Republicans are even in favor of same sex marriage in certain polls so like even in a republican primary i don't know that this is the same wedge issue it would have been like 10 years ago yeah definitely and and i was um i mean it's just interesting to see um such a a strong reaction because as I, yeah i agree that it doesn't seem like it's um a very strong wedge issue not something that republicans um are really voting on uh but you know it's interesting to see i guess the um you know the, the the disconnect between the and I'm sure this is is true in the Democratic Party as well, but the people who are um, the most you know involved activists who are at these county party meetings versus kind of the the general you, voters. You, right? you gotta love when the party yeah. of limited government wants to start looking at my chromosomes. I mean that seems a little, that seems a little much, but uh, so is that the, instead of pronouns now they're going to ask for our, our chromosomes. Well, they, they can't have mine. I don't care what they what they say. <laughs> I need them. <laughs> I definitely need them. <laughs> but yeah, it's well, you know, and oh, this kind of died down, but then you know, I would turn so red that I think that there's some folks that feel emboldened to sort of bring the marriage issue back up. I wouldn't anticipate legislative action, but all of this kind of yeah. stirs the pot so that, you know, they can, you know, 
go after the maybe gender identity in the civil rights code or something like that, that they, I mean, this is all part of the same, you know, red meat that they want to throw to the base. And so it, it could have some unfortunate implications, but I, and it, you know, as has been said there, you know, it was like seven or eight counties out of, you know, 99. So it's not a huge rebuke, but right. still. Right. It is interesting to me that, um, Congresswoman Ashley Henson had the same vote and she hasn't, um, uh, had the blowback in her area, at least yet. Um, maybe it's still coming. Maybe yeah. the county in the second district just hasn't met yet and, and, and it's coming. But, um, as of now, anyways, um, Ashley Henson took the same vote and, and hasn't, uh, faced the same, uh, consequence. So to whatever degree, you know, I, I, and, and everybody is right. As I say the word consequences, I, you know, I mean, these, these are, Caleb's point, it's not even a real thing. It's just more of a, a signal of the people's feeling on the issue. A primary challenge is probably... Well, and it could be that maybe only select counties were, you know, provided with God's will on this. So there may just not have been any in the first district, in the second district that received that uh, memo. So maybe that's it. Or 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 maybe he reached out to them all and it went to their junk filter in, in some way. <laughs> yeah, it very well could have. It could be in spam. So they might want to check. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, I don't know how we can't leave it there. Uh, if, if, you, <laughs> if you enjoyed the podcast, tell your friends and subscribe to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. And now that you listen to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that On Iowa Politics newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And uh, you can also find us all on Twitter, uh, at least until Elon bans us all. Lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Sierra Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Jeremy Jacobs will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. We'd love to feature them. For Tom, Caleb, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.